and welcome to Practically Healthy. I'm Dr. Melina Jampolis, your host, and I'm very excited today to introduce my latest guest. He is uh, talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart, aging gracefully, uh, which I haven't been doing so well lately, but um, we're going to jump right in. And, and uh, Pete McCall, I'm going to have you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about yourself since you're one of my first guests that I don't know very well, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting to know you. So welcome to Practically Healthy. Um, give us a little background on you before we jump into the topics that we're going to talk about today. Practically Healthy. Well, <clears throat> first of all, it's nice to meet you. And I want to say thank you to your listeners for taking the time to tune in. Hopefully they're getting the advice to stay not practically healthy, but all the way healthy. I think that's a, I think that's a great name because that's what we're all striving for. Um, I, but Doc, I'm an example of what happens when personal trainers get old, right? We, we, we think of personal trainers as those young, fit, 20-something people in the gym, but eventually personal trainers start getting a little bit older like everybody else. So along my career, I, I started educating other personal trainers. And for the last number of years, about for the last 15, 16 years, my primary focus has been on education programs, been on creating adult education programs for personal trainers. I've worked with certification organizations, equipment companies, health clubs. And, and before travel got restricted, I, I traveled around the world representing brands like Stairmaster and Nautilus at various events around the world to teach personal trainers how to design safe and effective exercise programs. So what I've done the last few years with my podcast, with All About Fitness, my podcast, and with the, the book, ageless intensity is I'm trying to help people our age above the age of 40. I'll leave it at that. I'm trying to help people above the age of 40 learn how to use exercise to slow down the aging process because I realized in, in doing the research and writing the education programs for trainers, there's a common thread in, in a lot of the information and a lot of the stuff being published. And that's that high intensity exercise really more so than regular exercise. Regular exercise is good, but it's the higher intensity exercise that tends to have the effect of slowing down the effects of time on our body. So that's really been, been trying to promote. I figure since I've been educating personal trainers that I'm trying to make the pivot towards the general consumer and saying, hey, here's how you can use exercise to manage the aging process because we're not getting any younger. We're all getting a little bit older a day at a time. And so in my mind, I'd look at exercise as really this is what we can do to really enhance the quality of life. Yeah, no, I see. I, I, uh, there's so much about what you say that resonates with me. I can't even begin to tell you. I could, I we could talk for about three hours, I think, but just to back up a little bit, I think I, I really would love listeners to understand and also viewers, cause we're videoing this and some people may prefer to watch it. Um, but you really do have a lot of credentials. And this is something that I talk about with patients a lot, especially if they're older, is going to a personal trainer that has the certifications first. And you have, how many of those? You have, you know, ACE, you have NASM, you have the same thing that my sister has, the CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, which I know is more prestigious and harder to get. So you have a ton of certifications. So I want everybody to understand that so that, you know, you're coming in to it and you have a degree in applied functional science and exercise science so you're the real deal i want i just want everybody to understand that but and i think you know jumping right in this is something that 
for me, and I'm going to admit, I'm going to be 52 in April of this year, 2022. And I, I feel like so many men and women start backing off from exercise and they do the exact opposite. They lower the intensity. They don't want to push themselves. I'm not really sure why, if it's fear of injury or just that they feel like that's a normal part of aging that they should slow down. But for me, I, I know I'm all about the intensity. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that. Was it just from your personal experience with aging? I know you're a former and current, I love semi-retired. That's like the semi, <laughs> semi-tame semi barracuda, right? That, um, you know, only bites off one of it. But um, tell us a little bit about how your interest in aging and the idea of, of HIT, high intensity interval training, or I assume it's any sort of intensity applied to any exercise. Tell us how you got into that. Well, first, I, I want to acknowledge that medical doctors are really they're the people that we really should be checking with before we start any exercise program, right? I, I just wanted, because when we look at exercise, exercise changes the body. Exercise disrupts homeostasis. So anytime that, that we're above the age of 40 or 50 or whatever, and we, we think about, hey, I need to pick up my exercise program, I really want to urge people to just check back in with their doctor, make sure there are no underlying disease issues there that could affect the body's response to exercise because that's important i mean and that and that's that's the paradox right we know we should exercise but at the same time we want to make sure we're doing the stuff that's safe for us and i think that's what happens as we get older is the medical community is very good about telling people that they should exercise but in all honesty you got so many other things on your plate on a day-to-day -day basis that the medical community doesn't always have the time to stay up on the latest research so as people get over the age of 50, they might hear from a doctor, hey, you should go out and exercise. They might mention walking. They might mention easier stuff because we just don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I, I got tuned into this years ago as an early 20, in my early 20s when I first became a personal trainer. Now, at the same time, I was playing club rugby. I mentioned that to you in the beginning. There's a strong ethos, doctor, in, in men's club rugby of men playing until their 40s or 50s. And, and to be fair, women's club rugby has the same thing. So these were people, I was in my early 20s, arrogant, full of piss and vinegar, and here I am getting beat up by guys 15, 20 years older than me. I mean, literally beaten into the ground. And that's when I turned, when I kind of flipped the switch in my head saying, I wanna be as fit as they are when I'm their age. I mean, I was 22 and some of these guys were late 30s, right around 40. And so that really, I saw the possibility from being in the rugby community and playing with guys in their 50s. When I was in my 20s, I played with guys in their early 50s, which blew me away because this was the late 90s. To me, 50 seemed old, right? Me too. And then I started being, well, but you know what I mean? But now it's like I'm 50 and I got to stretch a little bit more, but I can do almost, but that's what, that's what started me that I saw anything was possible if we maintained our fitness throughout our lifespan. Now, somebody who's playing men's club rugby for 20, 25 years, so they're playing in their early 50s, I would never recommend somebody 50 years old walk onto a rugby club and say, hey, I want to start playing rugby. But if you're 50 and you've been playing since you're 12 or 15, your body's used to it. You're conditioned to it. And, and that's the thing. We are now, you and I were born in the early 1970s. The 1970s, about 1970s, when we can date back the start of the modern fitness industry. So take somebody who's 25 years old in 1975. They could have joined their first health club in 1975 and so for the last 45 years, they've been exercising on a regular basis. Well, 
research and medical science doesn't know as much about how somebody who's in their 60s or 50s or 60s or 70s is still really fit. I mean, somebody who's been exercising for 40 years, we now have the fittest population of people in their 60s and 70s we've ever had. So it's really redefining the way that we look at aging. And you, you live in Southern California, as do I. And I know, Doc, that if I were to go down to Runyon Canyon or if I were to go down to Malibu first thing in the morning and I saw the people getting out of their cars to either go hike the canyon or go jump in the water, a lot of them are going to have gray hair. A lot of them are probably be north of 45, 50 because they still are doing the activities on a day-to-day basis. And that's the big thing is if you, if you enjoy being active, if you enjoy exercising, we, can, we should slow down and we should monitor it. But we should by no means stop just because we hit some arbitrary number with our age. Well, I have a couple questions. You bring up a couple important points. Um, I, I'm going to, I mean, I'm not sure that we at our age need to totally slow down yet, but we'll talk about that later. Just yeah, for yeah. me personally. But, you know, you say talk to your doctor before you exercise. My, at least from, I'm a nutrition doctor, I'm an internist by training, but I specialize in nutrition and I've done it for over 20 years. Do you really think that most doctors have the knowledge or even the confidence in what exercise does to advise their patients? I mean, let's get real about this because I really try to be real. Talk to your doctor. What's your doctor going to say? You're not going to have a heart attack or you are. I mean, is the doctor because everybody says that before beginning an exercise program. Talk to your doctor what are we talking to our doctor about? And do you really have confidence that the average doctor is going to say, yeah, you should totally do HIIT training because it'll decrease, even if you don't lose weight, you'll lower your risk of diabetes and heart disease and increase longevity and decrease, you know, increase whatever, mitochondrial biogenesis. Do you really think the average doctor is going to do that? Unfortunately, no. I mean, and that's the thing is it, people get stuck in this continuum of I want to check with my doctor and the and med- the medical community will always give people the least aggressive, say the safest way. Like being a young, I, I injured my back pretty severely when I was in my mid 20s. And of course, the doctor said I'd never squat or never play rugby again. And I don't know, I must have been my hearing must have been challenged that day because I didn't really internalize that. The reason why I say that is the purpose of going to a doctor is to make sure there's no underlying disease condition, which could be made worse by starting or restarting an exercise program. And that and that's where, because I've, I've seen in, in the major health club companies I've worked for, there's always been somebody that's had some sort of heart attack or some sort of reaction from trying to exercise too intensely too quickly. So that's just is like a safeguard, right? But in the same time, no, most doctors, doc, most doctors will not say, higher intensity exercise, we're seeing that higher intensity exercise might be better. Because a doctor's not going to sit there and say, if you started doing HIT, I'm, I'm 49 right now, I'll be 50 soon. My doctor's not going to say to me, you know what, Pete, if you started doing a little bit of HIT, you might elevate your testosterone levels and I won't need to give you this, this testosterone replacement or I won't need to give you this prescription of Viagra or Cialis, right? Because they, they, don't, they don't connect those dots. But in reality is if somebody started doing HIT, somebody in their mid-40s started doing HIT and scaled it progressively, scaled it the safe way, meaning gradually increase the intensity, they should not only burn calories, they should not only change their cardiorespiratory function, but according to the research, somebody in their late 40s, early 50s can also experience, can also expect to experience an elevation in testosterone. And that's a huge thing that really just doesn't get communicated. And that's the difference between moderate intensity and high intensity exercise 
is it's the higher intensity exercise that stresses the systems that gets the response we want. But to your point, a lot of doctors are going to err on the side of caution and say, you know what, at your age, at your quote unquote, just so listeners know, I'm using air quotes, at your age, you might be safer doing chair yoga than swinging a kettlebell just because they just don't, they don't have the time to go into the, the details of the data. They don't have the time and they don't have the knowledge. I have another good one though. My, um, when I was, uh, when I was your age, when I was 49, um, I blew out my knee for the umpteenth time ski racing. And I went to see my orthopedic surgeon and I had no ACL. And he said, you know, why do you want to fix this? I mean, at your age, why do you need an ACL? I'm like, at my age, I need an ACL to ski race with my kids, like just do the surgery. And his thing was, you know, you may not recover the hormones, this and that. I'm like, okay, you let me deal with the recovery. Just do the best job you can on the surgery. But so let's, let's talk about, um, cause I know it's funny. I've been talking about hit training for a decade now. So I guess I was kind of ahead of the curve. Yay. Um, but, but let's talk about that in terms of aging, because I too am quite interested in, in aging. Well, my most recent book, which was my fifth, um, was called Spice Up, Live Long, so on longevity powers. And, and I do talk about HIT. So what is it about high-intensity interval training? Or, I mean, I think this can just apply to pushing yourself a little bit more if we want to keep it really simple and not use a fancy acronym. But how does that help us with aging? Well, let's let's take a step back. So I like that question, but let's take a step back and first look at stress and look at appropriate stress, right? Because we can all we can all see here. We know that stress is this hot button word, and that we don't want excessive stress in our lives. And a lot of us have been living for the last twenty months, twenty two months, have been living in a kind of a higher DEFCON. For those of us that remember the eighties, like the DEFCON threat levels from the eighties nuclear war, but stress will elevate the the DEFCON. And, and, and here's the thing, we know that a little bit of stress on the body is good for us, right? We know that a little bit of intermittent fasting maybe might stress the digestive system. We know that exercise will stress the muscular, will stress the cardiorespiratory system. And, and that, it's that stress that makes our systems stronger, that makes our systems more capable of surviving. And, but then again, there's a fine line of where you don't want to do too much stress, right? And that's the challenge. I kind of call it the search for baby bear. And we all remember, my kids are relatively young. I started late. I started Me having too. kids when I was in my 40s. So I've read, I mean, I've, I was reading I was reading little the Goldilocks and Papa Bear is, is too what? Papa Bear is too much, too hot, too lumpy, too whatever. Mama Bear is not enough. So what we want with the exercise is we want to find our own baby bear. We want to find the amount that's just right. And what it shows with high, what the research shows with high intensity exercise is that stress on the body which challenges muscles to get stronger. It challenges your cardiorespiratory system to get more efficient or more effective. And it also challenges your endocrine system, the system that, promote, that produces hormones, to promote the hormones like testosterone, like growth hormone, like insulin, like growth factor, that are responsible for repairing tissue. Because this is the, this is the biggest secret to exercise, right? And you, you might overlook it, but exercise kickstarts our body's natural recycling plant. When we put force into the body, mechanical force into the body, there's something called mechanotransduction. That means mechanical force creates cellular change or chemical change within the cells. So the body's response to force, to mechanical force through exercise, is producing more cells. 
that could be bone cells, that could be muscle cells. What, what we're gonna do, the body's gonna respond by producing more cells, which ultimately make our tissues stronger. And it just, the research is showing that, yes, moderate intensity is good, and moderate intensity exercise is good, but it's really that higher intensity exercise that just is that much better for promoting that response. And you're talking about both cardio and strength training, is that correct? Correct, and that's a great, because cardio means, high intensity just means getting out of breath. You can't breathe effectively. And when you do that, when you're exercising a high intensity, this is for listeners, you're using carbohydrate, your muscle cells are using carbohydrate for fuel. So when you're exercising a high intensity, you have to breathe a lot harder because you're expiring more carbon dioxide. When muscle cells metabolize carbon carbohydrate for fuel, it produces more carbon dioxide as a gas, so you need to breathe harder. So you wanna be exercising for cardio at a point of where breathing becomes very difficult and talking, you can only say maybe one or two words at a time. And here's the thing, we only need to stay at that intensity for maybe up to 60 seconds at a time, somewhere between 10 and 60 seconds. And then when we recover, we get our breathing back comfortably, then we can go again and go to high intensity. Yeah, so you bring up a lot of points that I think we need to clarify for listeners. And I think, you know, one of the things that we definitely need to get rid of the myth is the uh, the fat burning zone, you know, that all the cardio machines say, well, and so people instinctively think they shouldn't get up to that intensity because they're getting out of the fat burning zone. But the reality is burning more carbohydrates burning more calories over time is what's going to get you if your goal is weight loss. So the whole, we can put to bed the fat burning zone myth. Would you agree with that? Well, right now you and I, I mean, you know, you know this, you and I are both in our optimal fat burning zone. We're not doing much intensity. So at lower intensity, we're metabolizing fat as our fuel source. But when, when we need, when muscle cells need energy quicker, fat takes too long. Free fatty acids take too long to metabolize into ATP. So yeah, we, we can do a way that the, the fat burning zone exists, but it's not go for a long walk. If you want to be in your fat burning zone, put on your favorite podcast, go for a long walk and you'll be in the fat burning zone. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the, the interesting thing that I, cause I studied, you know, a lot about longevity as well for my last book. So this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I do, uh, for me, like, I am not somebody who can do intermittent fasting. I just get hangry and I, I'm not even going to try. I really not. I, I, and I've read all the data and it's so compelling and interesting, but, but for me, you know, doing more intense workouts, it's the same. Is Am I correct? And the research shows the same benefits um, from high intensity training compared to uh, intermittent fasting. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing. And, and intermittent fasting is one of those things, doctor, where it either works for you or it doesn't. Some people can do it. Some people can adhere to it. And some people don't. And then they can't. And, and I would never, and, and I want to fully acknowledge that I'm an exercise guy. I don't try to dispel. I, the only reason why I talk about nutrition is because nutrition provides the fuel for exercise, right? Exercise is energy expenditure. Nutrition is energy intake. We can't talk about energy expenditure with at least having an understanding of the role of intake. And that's where I look at for myself, I'll follow intermittent fasting. But that's just because the data of how it affects the aging process. But on to your point, that's really where the high intensity exercise comes in is it really it, it, it spurs the production of satellite cells it spurs the production of new cells to repair those tissues damaged during exercise and there there's the other caveat 
is, and, and this is where I think a lot of people make the mistake, is they hear this message that high-intensity inter interval training or high-intensity exercise is good for you. It is, but not every day. Three, maybe four times a week. And, and for listeners, the doctor is not in her head up and down like a bobblehead <laughs> on a bumpy road. But that's really where, I mean, right? I mean, because I would love your intake on that because I, I sometimes people hear high-intensity, oh, I got that means every workout I do has to be, I can't, I got to be out of breath for every workout. And it's like, no, 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 time out high intensity three, maybe four times a week because the, the corollary, the opposite side of high intensity is we need to sleep. We need the proper nutrient and that's, that's your, your, your bucket is we need nutrition to repair the fibers, to repair the tissues. And so you need to have that balance. You can't have high intensity exercise without the recovery and there needs to be a balance. And, and, that, and after a hard workout, I mean, probably I, I don't, don't know you well at all, but I would imagine that you love getting after it one day but then the next day, it just probably feels natural for you to do a yoga class or go for a long, long walk or, or do something that's not as harsh on your body. Am I, am I right with that? I mean, is that yeah. kind of how you apply it? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly for my patients, I have always recommended, I actually, most of them aren't exercisers necessarily like you and I are. So, um, you know, two or three times a week, but recovery and, and I mean, recovery is essential. And that's also even for muscles, that's when the growth happens. It's not during the workout, it's the after. But so I, you know, I, I, I guess for me, it's also a big exercise is a huge stress reliever. And I wanted to actually touch on that really quickly, because, you know, when you say stress, people don't understand it's not psychological stress so that is really not good there's i mean of course we have it but but what you're talking about is physiological stress so when your body is is stressed and that that recovery and and the effect of having your body kind of pushed a little bit beyond its limit so i just wanted listeners to make sure that they understood we're not telling them to like get more stressed out, lose your job, get a divorce, you know, have a, you know, make everything uh, rack up a lot of debt. Uh, you know, don't do stuff like that. We're talking <laughs> about the, the benefits of, but, but so let's talk about, so I do definitely it's, I, I'm not as good about listening to my body, but when I don't, I get into trouble. Um, I push it pretty hard, but I, I, you know, if I, I was just, um, you know, skiing for a couple of weeks over Christmas and I, I ski, I, I ski hard, even though my surgeons, all of my surgeons, I had back surgery, three knee surgeries, all of my surgeons tell me I shouldn't, but I love it. It makes me happy. Um, but well, well, let's pause, doctor, let, let's pause on that a second, if you don't mind, because that's, that's the mindset that I'm trying to attack, trying to, that's the mindset that I'm trying to attract with my podcast and my book. I'm trying to attract those people that skiing, surfing, triathlon, hiking, whatever it is that just because the calendar says a certain thing, you know your body better than those surgeons. I mean, a surgeon might say, well, we don't know if a graft of a, of a cadaver tendon can hold up to the demands of skiing. Therefore, we're not gonna recommend that maybe you don't ski. And you're sitting there going, I've been skiing my entire life. I've been skiing since I was 10, 12 years old. I'm right. willing to, it, 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 what's that, since you're three. But you know what, but this is, this is a conversation that we have in our head of you, you acknowledge that risk, you accept that risk because life without skiing to you is more untenable than getting injured. Am I right? Because And that's where I, that's where a lot of people, I think, fall in at our age group. It's like, I still love to do X. 
whatever X is, they don't want to give it up. They just want to do it in a way that leave, that doesn't mean that they're waking up on Monday morning going, oh, my God, I got to work from home today because I can barely get out of bed. Right. I mean, that's, I think, the gift that you and I both want to give to listeners and to people that we create content for is we want to give them that ability to wake up, say, today I'm going to go out and do my favorite X, Y, Z. And if I get a little sore from it, so what? That's the price I'm willing to pay to enjoy life the way I want to. Yeah, no, I think, but for me, I also, one of my goals is, and so I want to get into some really practical tips, but one of my goals is to inspire people who aren't like us, because I think probably at our our age, the majority are not like us. So I want to, and I just had this conversation with, with my father who had some health issues. He's in his late seventies, you know, but he's somebody who, you know, he played football in college, not, not, you know, competitively it was, uh, or high school, you know, he was on the all city team. So he's somebody who's worked out his entire life and, you know, he's retiring in Florida now. And, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do every day? And he's like, Oh, I walk on the beach. I'm like, why don't you go back in the gym and start lifting again? That made you happy. And guess what? You know, it, it helps prevent age related muscle loss and it can help you feel it can help prevent falls. It can help with insulin control, with blood sugar, with, and, and he's like, Oh no, I I'm too old for that. But, and I, I said, you know, there's a study out of Tufts that showed that strength training at 82 years old, you could still benefit, particularly when you fuel your body correctly. So I do want to, I want to speak now to people who maybe don't have that background and exercise and, and maybe they've always done kind of more, if you're talking about the seventies, like jazzercise and lightweight, low reps, cause they don't want, or lightweight, high reps. They don't want to build muscle, especially women. So let's talk about practical approaches for that person. Let's say, let's say I'm new to exercise. Like I'm just somebody who's been sedentary or I've been sitting on my butt during the pandemic, not doing much of anything intensely. How do we get, how do you recommend that we get started with both cardio and strength training? Cause I think that's something a lot of women don't want to bulk up. So tell, tell, give us your, your practical advice. Cause I'm practically healthy. Yeah. Well, and I love that question. I just want to point out something that recently on my podcast, I interviewed Kathy Smith. Kathy's in her mid-70s. She was a fitness icon as far back as the 1970s. She was one of the early people to really, she was one of the early, for lack of a better term, social media stars with exercise videos. And what, what Kathy was telling me was in the 70s, doctors told women not to lift weights because they didn't understand how weight training would affect women's bodies. Now, the reason why I say that kind of that little history lesson is that now for the last 40, 45 years, there have been a whole generation of women that have it baked in their head, women shouldn't lift weights. Or if they did lift weights, they're gonna break out of muscles overnight. Number one, women don't have testes. That's where testosterone is produced primarily in the testes. And testosterone is, is the primary muscle building hormone. So I wanna say that very loud and clear that if a woman in her 50s or 60s started lifting weights two times a week she's not going to turn into she's not going to turn into a bodybuilder overnight by that's not going to happen but here's the benefit of strength training one is it makes the muscles stronger obviously 
capable of doing more things and of moving your body. Strong muscles means you have better body awareness, better body control, because a lot of people forget the fact that muscles are where our sensory receptors are, right? So if we're strength training, we're always uploading new data into our body. Muscles act as sensory receptors collecting data from the outside environment. If all we're doing is sitting on the couch or sitting in our car, we're not collecting that much data. We're not collecting that much input. But if we go to the gym, we do some strength training, we do a Zumba class, we do an aqua class, we do a yoga class. And I'm a big fan of classes because of the social aspect as well as having somebody coach you on what to do. But now you're getting different inputs. You're getting a strength training input. You're getting mobility. You're getting balance. All that means you're getting more data into your body so your nervous system can control your body more effectively. So yes, the data is unequivocal that strength training at any age will lead to stronger muscles. And so my advice for anybody looking to start a program, obviously if you feel safe and comfortable in this environment of joining a health club, health clubs have been very, been very, been working very hard at trying to mitigate against the, the risks right now, the, the viral risk and health clubs have been doing a much better job about cleaning, about trying to sanitize. They just have because they recognize that it's for their members. So my, my recommendation is just join a health club because machine strength training is the safest way to get started in a program, right? The machine allows the muscles to get stronger, takes a little bit of stress off the joints, but then over time, start doing some body weight exercises with a light dumbbell, start doing some body weight exercises with a medicine ball, because you wanna be able to control weight as it's moving through space. And that's really where for anybody any age who wants to learn how to exercise safely, I'm a big proponent of hiring a personal trainer at least for a month or two or for a series of sessions to find the right program for you, right? Because you listening are gonna need a slightly different program than me. And a good personal trainer can say, hey, based on what you tell me, here's what I think you need to do, and they'll coach you how to do it. And, and that's where I think people should understand there's a little bit of expense to learn how to do it right and do it safely, especially if you're kind of relaunching a fitness program in your 60s or 70s. There are some great personal trainers out there who can really, if you just want to stay at home, a good personal trainer can say, here's what we can do at home given the equipment that you have. And if you go to a facility, if you go to a health club, go to a gym, go to a studio, a good personal trainer will say, hey, here's an exercise program that it's going to get you where you want to go. But here's the thing, doctor, our job as a, as a personal trainer is to make you slightly uncomfortable and make you be, help you be comfortable being uncomfortable because that's where that discomfort causes growth. That's where, to your point, the physiological stress, that's what a personal trainer knows how to do. A personal trainer can apply the appropriate amount of physiological stress to get the response that you want from your body to get you where you go. But, but all that to say that we can start at any age, but we just need to be smart and recognize that, hey, I need to start slowly and build up. But I really think that the, one of the biggest disservices we've done in the fitness industry is we gave that message 40 years ago. Then I'll wrap it up with this. The coolest thing is I recently started a job with a new health club company, and a lot of our gyms have Olympic racks, have like the Olympic weightlifting platforms for barbells. Now, 20 years ago, when I worked in the DC area, no gyms, zero gyms had barbell like Olympic racks and Olympic platforms. It just people didn't do it. But CrossFit got people into doing the barbell lifts like clean and jerk and snatch. Doctor, if I go into one of the gyms now, if there are ten if there are ten platforms in the gym, four or five of them have women at them. So it's not only that we have more barbell training in the gym, which is good, but now the younger generation of women these are young women in their early 20s, maybe mid 20s. 
they've grown up with strength and conditioning in high school. If they played high school soccer, if they graduated from high school in 2019, they played high school soccer, they had a strength coach train them what to do if they played any high school, college. So now we're seeing this, I'm finishing with this big shift that now we have much more women at an earlier age getting involved in strength training. And we're seeing this huge, tremendous shift in our industry, which I think is good. And so I think I, I say that because I think if, if women are a little bit older, we've given this false narrative that strength training is bad for them when it's the first, I mean, anybody over the age of 50 should be strength training two or three times a week, should make it a critical component of what if any exercise program. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, for for people listening to understand that, you know, strength training, you know, because everybody cares about weight management. And certainly as we age, there is no question that your metabolism drops. Some of that is not in your control. What is under your control is the amount of lean body mass that you have, the amount of muscle that you have. So I think that's something, you know, that is is very important to emphasize, you know, not only for longevity, um, but for weight management and even for excess belly fat. I know that's something that a lot of women as they get older are concerned about. I joke around that people say weight shifts from butt to gut. And, you know, there's a hormonal aspect of that, but there's also strength training can play a big role in that as can fit. So, so in your book, Ageless Intensity, let's, again, my, my goal is to make this as so practically healthy as a double entendre. It's not quite perfectly healthy. So I disagree with you. I don't think anybody is perfectly healthy. I'm not, that's for sure. But it's also about being practical. So if somebody's at home, they're not comfortable going out, how can we bring up, you know, because hit is different than hurt, high intensity <laughs> resistance training versus high intensity interval training. So what do you talk about in your, because you have a book about this, Ageless Intensity. So what can we do? What's the best thing to do at home if we're getting started or want to, our resolution maybe is to, you know, amp it up a little bit in terms of workout, not just, you know, clock in the numbers uh, to actually make it effective and potentially help you live longer. No, I love that because, yeah, a lot of us are challenged by having about the resources we have and not everybody works in the fitness industry and has a fitness podcast and has people send them free products that they can try out and builds up a uh, it builds up a pre because on the other side of my camera, I have kettlebells. I have, I have a bunch of different equipment that I can use here at home. But that's where being creative with timers, you mentioned timer, but doing body weight exercises and using a timer of like 20 30 or 40 seconds and get challenging yourself. How many can I do in 30 seconds? How many can I do in, in, in 40 seconds? You don't need a lot of weight. Now, if you're challenging yourself, let's say body weight squats, you set a timer for 30 seconds. Maybe the first time you do body weight squats, you get through 15 and it's somewhat uncomfortable because you're just not used to doing that. Well, if you do that on a regular basis, two or three times a week, within a few weeks, you should go from doing about 15 squats to maybe 25 or 30 squats within 30 seconds once you kind of sequence and get the, the motor pattern down. That, if you if you try to just use a timer and try to do more repetitions in the same amount of time, going from 15 reps to 30 reps in 30 seconds, you're gonna start breathing pretty heavy. And, and really what we know, what, what the research shows is if we want muscle growth, if we want muscle definition, meaning just our muscles look a bit better, we need to work to that point of slight fatigue or discomfort where our muscles can't, it's challenging for the muscles 
to perform another repetition or two. Because when we get that little burning sensation in the muscles, when we get that, I just can't do another repetition, what, what's happening is we've depleted the amount of available energy and we're building up something called metabolic byproducts. It could be, it could be phosphates, it could be lactic acid, it could be hydrogen ions. The thing is science doesn't really know. And one of the things I always point out, doctors, when I have researchers on my podcast, is anybody who tells you a definitive answer about the body, don't listen to them, right? Because we don't know. I mean, we, we can look at the evidence. So when we look at the evidence, what we see is working to a point of fatigue can change levels, can change blood acidity. And there's a correlation there between working to fatigue and those anabolic hormones responsible for muscle growth. And by that, I mean just repairing muscle tissue, not getting huge muscles overnight. So the answer for somebody looking to exercise at home is use a timer, challenge yourself. Try to do more repetitions in the same amount of time of any exercise. And once you then, you're like, wow, I can't, I don't think I can do more than 30 seconds, add five seconds. Start with 20, 25, 30, 35, and get up to about 40, 45 seconds for an entire set. That, that progression right there should take you about three to five months of just adding a little bit each time and just adding more. I mean, the whole point is we want to be out of breath when we exercise two or three times a week. So I love that. I, I mean, for me now, I'm thinking to myself as I, because I mean, I I have to admit, I don't lift. I, I haven't been in a gym in a couple of years. It just hasn't been on my, plus I have young kids too. I'm an old mom, same as you. We have the exact same story life, I think. Um, but <laughs> I, I, so you don't necessarily have to be swinging huge weights to get it. You just, so, so if I'm at home, because this is really interesting to me, and I think I'm going to try this because so it, it's just about I could do body weight squats with my own weight. I could do push-ups. I do full body push-ups, but you could do them on your knees if you're just getting started. You could do sit-ups. And so you're saying how many sets of 30? And I want to give people really specific actionable items because I want people to do this. I really like this. And it seems practical and doable. So how many sets of 30 should we do? How much rest in between? Because I think this is really important. Let, well, let, let's start with this. Let's do, let's do, let's pick five exercises. One exercise can be a glute bridge on the ground. And a glute bridge is where you lay on the ground and you push your, your hips up towards the ceiling. There's one exercise. How many can you do in 30 seconds? And then turn the body over. Now you're in a push-up position or a high plank position. Do you need to modify your push-ups and go down to your knees? Whatever you do, try to do as many push-ups as you can in 30 seconds. So you're going from the glute bridge to the push-ups. Now you're going to stand up and now you're going to try to do bodyweight squats, as many bodyweight squats as you can in 30 seconds. And then to finish up, now maybe you do maybe you do lateral lunges or rollerbladers. I call them rollerbladers because we don't have ice here in Southern California, but ice skaters where you jump back and forth from one leg to another for 30 seconds and you count that up. So that's, that's only four exercises, glute bridge, push up, squat, and the lateral and the side to side hops or ice skaters. So that should take two minutes, 30 seconds, and try to be as short as you can between the transitions. And at the end of it, take 30 seconds to kind of catch your breath and try to do that three times. That should be a good little 10 minute workout, right? Of glute bridges, high plank or push ups, stand it up, body weight squats, and then the lateral side to side. And that's going to get the lower body involved a little bit. It's going to get some core muscles involved a little bit. It's going to get your heart rate up, especially if you try to do as many as you can in 30 seconds. And if you do it three rounds, that's going to be about 10 minutes. 
And and that's just a good that's a good way to get it started and get going because that's the thing is we want to be out of breath two or three times a week, right? Other workouts for the week, you can have an easy walk around the neighborhood. You can do a yoga class. You can do an aqua class. Not that they're not going to make you out of breath, but specifically, we want about half our workouts. We want to be, I want people to be active every day. doesn't mean you have to work out every day, but we should try to be active every day. And, and three or four days a week, you should do some sort of activity that's going to have you breathing hard or get you out of breath. If that's exercising at home, great. Maybe that's cleaning up. Maybe you have three young kids under the age of five. God bless. I'm not glad I'm not there anymore. But maybe just keeping up because that is maybe you put a timer on yourself and say, hey, I got 40 minutes. Kids are asleep. How quickly can I clean the house up? Because now you put a timer on yourself. Now you're not going to stop and swipe your phone. Now you're not, But you know what? But it's looking for those opportunities. And if you go for a walk around the neighborhood, time yourself on your normal walk. Like I, there's a little loop I do in my neighborhood that's about a mile and a half. It usually takes me between 22 and 25 minutes to do that mile and a half. If I don't have much time and I'm trying to get a good workout in, I try to do that mile and a half in about 20. You know, I, I push it to try to get closer to 20 minutes. But at least knowing some of these metrics, I know that if I want to push it a little bit, I know the time and it's using those metrics. It gives me the ability to do that. Right. And you can do that with cardio too. So like just alternating, like maybe it's jogging slowly for 30 seconds and then walking and then jogging slowly, just for people who have no idea what interval training is. It's just mixing higher intensity with recovery, not rest. Like that's, you know, I, I, I think that's, I, I hate when people like, I see them sprinting and then they just sit for two minutes until they catch their breath again, active recovery. I think that's important to emphasize, right? I'd love, I'm a huge, I'd love trail running. I just, my, I have pretty bad arthritis in my right knee. Going up trails, not a big deal. Coming down trails, my knee yells at me a little bit. I just got to be mindful of that. But I'm a, the reason why I'm going with that, I'm a huge advocate. If I go out for a trail run, I run till I get slightly out of breath. Then guess what? I walk for a little bit till my breathing comes back. That's a perfect sign of interval training. And that's what you have to do. I don't have anybody, doctor, if I'm out for a trail run, I'm out to have fun and be outside. I'm not on a clock. I'm not competing for a podium. I'm not. And I think sometimes we get this mindset of if I'm not going, if I'm not doing 100%, then I don't need to do anything at all. And, and that, you know, it's that mindset of it's either all or nothing. When in reality, just if you go for a run, run till you get out of breath, walk till you get your breathing back, and then guess what? Go for a run till you get out of breath again. I will bet you if you do that consistently, maybe you start out, you can only run 90 seconds before you get out of breath. Good. I don't know if 90 seconds is good or bad. I don't. I don't care. I just want you to see to go from 90 seconds to 100 seconds and then to 120 seconds. Next thing you know, you're going to be running three, four, five minutes in a row without needing to stop for breath, right? And then pretty soon you're going to be training for a 5K or a 10K and running the whole thing. But I think, I think where I'm going with this is if you just want to start, go to the point of where breathing gets difficult, slow down, get your breathing back under control, then pick it up again. And just pay attention to to the timing and challenge yourself. Hey, it, it took me four minutes at last time to get out of breath. Today, I want to try to get to four and a half minutes. Doing little things like that, I think people will be surprised how quickly their fitness level. And, and I want to be perfectly clear. When I talk fitness, I'm talking ability, work capacity, work rate, performance. No definition. I took the time to look up about four or five different dictionaries. No definition of fitness mentions anything about appearance, right? The only people who worry about appearance are us between our ears, in our head, right? But your body, your muscles don't know. Your muscles are going to generate a certain amount of force. 
Your muscles can produce them. They don't know what they look like in the mirror. That's our psychology. And that's a whole nother conversation. Right. <laughs> right? And, and anyway, yeah, Instagram, the uh, only people that worry is Instagram, but with the filters, honestly, it probably doesn't even matter, but I love that. I, we need to wrap up soon, but I, I love the fact that, I mean, this is something that I talk about all the time with patients in terms of nutrition is to set smart goals, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and timely. And everything that you say on the fitness side really just feeds into that. And, and I, I love having like a, a, a purpose. You get, I feel like you give people a purpose, but, and I think one of the things that you and I probably both agree is it's not just about living longer. It's about living better. And I think that's where your ageless intensity book probably, you know, really is, is so similar to everything that I've done. So if people want to learn more about you or your books or anything like that, I know you have an upcoming book that you're working on about exercise recovery. Where can they go to learn more about you? Do you have videos? Where Tell us more. I know you, you have your own podcast, all about yeah. fitness. Tell us where we can find more. Well, no, thank you. And obviously the podcast and what I try to do, doctors, I try to make it the NPR fitness podcast, meaning I have an elevated discussion about exercise and how exercise changes our body because I've tried to listen to other fitness podcasts and I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear broing out. Oh, bro, how much you live, bro? How do I get more? I don't know. I try to have an elevated conversation about how exercise enhances the quality of life. So all about fitness podcast, PeteMcCallFitness.com. I try to put up a couple blogs and then my books, Ageless Intensity. And then my first book is called Smarter Workouts. And Smarter Workouts, I teach you what you need to know to design exercise programs. So Ageless Intensity picks it up where Smarter Workouts left, leaves off. And, and Ageless Intensity is for the over 40 crowd. And, and just for, for listeners, I wrote, I, I use a lot of 80s movies. So I make references, I make reference to Rocky, I make reference to Highlander, just in terms of understanding about our physiology and how our physiology changes as we age, I make, make 80s movie references. And as you mentioned, I have my third book coming out hopefully later this year on recovery from exercise. But yeah, Amazon.com, Pete McCall, you can find me on there, PeteMcCallFitness.com. All I'm trying to do, like I said, is I'm trying to put out, you mentioned it, doctor, people our age, over the age of 40, should listen to experts who are our age, who understand the body a little bit better. God love them, but a 25, 28, 30-year-old Instagram model just doesn't understand a 50-year-old body the way that somebody who's 50 and been exercising for 30 years does. Yeah, no, I, I love the 80s. I love the 80s. But have you been watching Cobra Kai at all? Because I, my husband and I were just talking about Sensei Crease is, it, you know, he still looks pretty good and he's moving around and they're like, you know, so I, I love the 80s. Well, stuff. I'll definitely be interested in that. Well, well think, of, think about this real quick. We'll, we'll wrap up with this, doctor. Yes. But Ralph Macchio, when they released the first Cobra Kai, Ralph Macchio was four years older. He was like almost 60 years old than Mr. Miyagi was when they released the first Karate Kid back in 1985. Like wow. Pat Morita was like Pat Morita was like 56 years old when Karate Kid came out in the mid 80s, and Ralph Macchio was 59 or 60 years old when they did Cobra Kai when they released the first season of Cobra Kai. So Ralph Macchio now is actually three or four years older than Mr. Morita than, than Pat Morita was when they filmed the original. Wow, that's inspiring. I did not realize that. Wow, he does not look in his 60s. That's for sure. That's amazing. I know my kids love that show. <laughs> Anyways, Pete, thank you so much. This has been so much fun getting to know you. Such great information. 
listeners, as you said, if you want to learn more about Pete, check out his podcast, All About Fitness. I'm going to be doing it soon. Um, so I'm looking forward to continuing the discussion. But you've been listening to Practically Healthy. I hope that you have gotten some practical tips today. I know I have. I'm actually going to implement some of these things. I'm really going to try this kind of 30-second circuit because it's cool. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to do more strength training. But if you have any questions, you can email me. You can message me, but definitely subscribe to the podcast. This has been fantastic. Uh, and um, I hope you tune in next week. Thanks for listening.